0: Friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton. I'm the founder, chief evangelist for Small Business Matters, and I am your host for today's podcast. My co-host is Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, it's been a busy day for Small Business Matters. Earlier today, we had the monthly Small Business Matters uh, luncheon, We had Bill McDermott on uh, as our speaker, did a great job of talking about banking and the pandemic, and we had 27 people that registered for that. So good day for Small Business Matters, and even better now because with our our podcast, we have got a, a great guest, one of my favorite marketeers, very pleased. Jennifer Kuhn, welcome to Small Business Matters, the podcast.
2: Thank you, Tim and Taylor. Appreciate being here today.
0: So uh, let me start off by sharing with our listeners a little bit about Jennifer. She is the founder and principal consultant of Michael McKenzie Communications. She's the chief strategist, business development officer, contributing copywriter, head bottle washer, and the list goes on and on. She does tailor just about everything as it relates to marketing in, in her agency. Prior to forming the Michael McKenzie Communications in 2001, Jennifer served as a PR and field marketing manager for a small little-known company called Microsoft Corporation. In total, she has over 25 years' experience developing and deploying strategic marketing communication programs that drive both the image uh, and, and enthusiasm and revenue for small growth companies. Jennifer has a bachelor degree in creative advertising from Southern Methodist University. That's the Mustangs, I I believe. And then she also Mm -hmm. has a master's in marketing and information technology from a small state university in Florida, in Tallahassee, I believe, Florida State University. She's a member of the American Marketing Association, Public Relations Society of America. She's a member of TAG, which is the Technology Association of Georgia, and that list goes on. She's very involved in her industry and also in her community. Taylor, uh, Jennifer and her husband live just north of us in Roswell, Georgia. She has two sons who both attend the University of Mississippi, also known as Ole Miss. She's an active member in her church, the Roswell United Methodist Church, and she counts among her hobbies, and I I enjoyed seeing these, uh, swimming, photography, retail therapy, we may have to explore that for a moment, watching minor league baseball, and college football. Taylor, all of your rapid answer questions are buried in that last paragraph.
1: They've all been answered. (laughs) You beat us to (laughs) it.
0: So again, Jennifer, uh, a warm welcome to Small Business Matters podcast. We always start off with our guests. The most important question is, what is it that you do, Jennifer, that truly matters to small business?
2: Well, you know... When you first asked me this question, I believe what you asked me was, what am I really doing that matters? Mm -hmm. And of course, the first answer is always parenting those two young men who will be traveling to Oxford this weekend to start their fall semester at the University of Mississippi. As it relates to my small business clients, there are probably two things that are really super important that we do for them. And the first is to help them articulate not just what they do, but how they make other people successful. And that's something that businesses and business owners really struggle sometimes to differentiate. They lead with product or service as opposed to the value proposition. The second thing that we do is we help keep them accountable to a marketing program that works for them instead of allowing marketing to become something that they do when they get around to it, when they have time.
0: That's great. And I love that that first one, you know, differentiating, you know, between what it is that you're selling and and how is it different? How is it unique? We, we
1: may come back to that one. Taylor? Yeah. So, Jennifer, we, we touched on your bio, but you've kind of taken an interesting path from, from Microsoft to now having your own agency. So, just in a nutshell, tell us, our listeners, how you got to this point in your career and, and some of the key milestones that you're proud of.
2: Well, I'm one of the unique people you run into where I actually have two college degrees in the job that I'm doing today. Um, And I know that makes me different and special from some folks you run into, or maybe just fortunate. Um, I can't say that it was all uh, intuition on my part. I've had the great opportunity to work for both small and large companies along that path. So prior to working for Microsoft, I worked for a bunch of startups um, and then got to work in a large enterprise and then went back to working for startups. And so that perspective really helps, um, helps me to help my clients today to understand both the perspective of them as a business owner, but also as their buyer um, and the consumers and the people they're going to right run into on the street.
0: Jennifer, you're the, you're the president, the CEO, the the, the head person in, in your agency. Putting marketing aside, how would you describe, what is your role within the agency? What are you responsible for?
2: Well, aside from the obvious uh, ownership responsibilities of the buck stops here, there are a couple of things that I think that I'm really good at, and a couple that I'm probably not as good at. Um, the first one is selling. I love to get out and talk to people about how we uh, can help them be more successful at what they're doing. I know that you know sales is not every every person's joy uh, and love, but I I get a, a lot of enthusiasm out of doing it. Um, the second thing that I really find um, that I'm good at is planning. Probably to the point of making my family a little crazy but uh, I'm a planner and the planning helps our clients to understand what we're going to do today and next month and next quarter and next year. The third thing that I count among my uh, traits is being super detailed. It's not just enough to say we have a plan, but you know, how are we going to get it? How are we going to budget for it? Who's going to take care of it? You know, What are all the other organizational details that really kind of fall behind that? Now, on the flip side, I'm amazingly impatient. And I share that with folks because jokingly. God doesn't give you more patience when you birth children. Um, And so I've had to learn that while I'm good at things in my business, I have to figure out the things that I'm not good at, which are things that usually involve being patient, and hire other people to execute against those.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting and and not unique to you, Jennifer, in patience. Todd, I'd like to follow up on that. So how does that, as the leader of the CEO of your company, How does that play out as a positive, as a strength? How does that work for you? And what might be an example of how that might work against you, that same impatience?
2: Well, the impatience and the enthusiasm probably go hand in hand. You know, once we get excited about doing something, that impatience kind of turns to a, okay, well, let's work on it right now, um, which should be beneficial for both the staff and for the clients.
0: And how does it work against you? What would be an example of how that impatience maybe works against you as the leader of the firm?
2: Uh, One of the tough things about having sat in all of the seats in any organization is that you already know how to do those roles. And as a a leader and a manager, sometimes you have to remember that the people around you haven't been in that seat as long as you might have been. And so you have to temper that that impatience um, while you help them grow and, you know, nurture them in the skills they need to perform that job.
1: Jennifer, you mentioned, uh, the very beginning about value proposition and I'm guessing mm-hmm. a lot of our listeners don't know what a value proposition is. Would you mind describing that for us?
2: It's funny that you say that because I was actually on a call this week with a new prospect and I made reference to his USP uh, and he stopped me for a second. and goes, okay, what's a USP? So um, there's a lot of different acronyms and, and mumbo jumbo that people in sales and marketing t- use to describe this. But as we alluded earlier, earlier you know, what we sell or what we service isn't really what we do. Um, it's what makes us special and about why people buy that from us. Um, at the end of the day, people could buy business coaching from a whole multitude of people. Um, but they ultimately choose to buy from small business matters because of something unique about the way that Tim focuses on his business or brings a, a specific industry expertise or an ultimately a services delivery um, that works for those businesses. And that's, that's where that value proposition comes into play. If you understand that you're not going to be the only person in your market selling whatever it is that you're selling, you've got to be able to differentiate yourself from the next guy on the street. Otherwise, you've got to fight on price.
1: And how would you recommend businesses go about establishing their value proposition? Because I'm, I'm sure there are a number of ways you could go about it, some more efficient than others. But when you get to the root of it, uh, what's the best way to, to really look inward and, and define that?
2: So remember, it's not about establishing it. It's about identifying it. And value props are kind of like taglines. Uh, as much as a new business might like to say, OK, I have a name, let's create a logo and a tagline today. Um, they don't really know at that point exactly what that that USP is. And mm-hmm. so, um, taking a little time and talking to customers, people who are already buying from you, talking to your employees, and and looking at your competition all can help you to, to identify how what you do is a little bit more better perfect than the next one that you talk to. So, let's use a, a, a simple example. Last night, my son and I went out for ice cream, and I could have gone to Dairy Queen which is a popular drive through right now in COVID times. I could have gone to uh, Baskin-Robbins, which is, you know, an old tried and true favorite. But ultimately, we decided to go to the newfangled ice cream shop that serves the ice cream where they spread it out on a, on a big frozen sheet mm. and then they roll it up in little curls and serve it to you in a cup. And I know there's a name for that and I'm, it, it escapes me at this second, but it's cool and it's different. Mm. And it's personal. And I go to the ice cream store and I tell them which flavors I want and they mix it in for me and I tell them what size I want and they make that for me. And at the end of the day, I have my very own special ice cream that looks far different than anything I was going to get at Baskin Robbins or at Dairy Queen. And so for that organization, that Philadelphia based franchise, you know, that's really their USP.
0: That's a great example. And you got me thinking about that ice cream. Jennifer, you know, small business owners, You know, certain parts of their business, they they'll admit they don't know much about finance and insurance and the legal part. But the one part of the business that most of them will suggest that they know an awful lot about is marketing. They're all marketing experts. And some of them even take it to the degree that they do their own marketing, come up with their own marketing plan. They execute their own marketing. What do you suggest to to companies, one, in terms of who should be doing the marketing? Should they outsource it? Should they hire someone to do it? And then uh, from that point, is it something that you do every once in a while or does it need to be consistent? What do you tell your clients?
2: So I'm sensitive to the pains of a small business owner trying to figure out what they should do first and where, you know, where they should invest, who their first, second, and third hire are going to be. Um, and I recognize that initially for a lot of those individuals, being in charge of sales makes a lot of sense especially as it allows them to, at the get-go, define their, their tone of voice, you know, their personality, put together their product and their service offering. But the problem is, especially for a lot of the technical companies we work with who are uh, engineering-led, they kind of have a, a not built here mentality. And the concept is that it's so internal that they, they think they're the only one that gets it, and they're the only one with the right idea. And that becomes an obstacle to them to moving business forward. And so when you get to a point where you can afford it, bringing on sales and marketing people, either internal or external, starts to make a lot of sense. So the business owner can return to doing whatever it is that they do best. And somebody else can come in and wear that hat and bring in a different perspective. Because just because you drive a certain car or shop at a certain store or use a certain social media platform, that doesn't mean that's what your customer is going to do. All too often, it's really hard for a business owner to see past their own personal perspective.
0: Yeah, it's the old saying: "You're you're not your best customer, right?" We we tend to think that all of our our best customers look like us, think like us, you know, live the same type of lives, and and it's easy easy to get caught up in that. So just just a, a, a follow up: So when when does a business, a small business, when do they know that they need to hire someone or, or is it even before that? Or when does it make sense for them to bring someone on board in marketing?
2: The answer to that is really going to vary depending upon how the business delivers. You know, If you're looking at a product-based organization that has a relatively low price point, they're going to need to be investing in, in marketing staff, internal or external, a lot sooner than maybe an organization with a higher price tag and a a longer sales cycle for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, And so there's not not a magic answer on how to kind of get those things done. What we see is that businesses on the services side tend to struggle to invest in marketing headcount when they're still what we like to refer to as a lifestyle business. So businesses that are generating probably less than a million dollars in revenue But when they get to the million-dollar threshold, then they really are are able to invest and to start to think about spending money on marketing every month and month over month, which may mean a program or an agency or a hire to take Mm -hmm. care of those things for them.
1: Jennifer, one thing small businesses, really businesses of all nature, struggle with is the idea of a strategy. And again, I think if you ask a lot of small businesses, and our listeners included, what is your marketing strategy? Uh, they would tell you, well, they run Facebook ads or they have a monthly email newsletter, but that's not really a strategy. And so I'm curious if you could peel that back a little bit and and let us know what you tell your clients when that type of conversation comes up.
2: So things like email and social media are basically a channel. Um, And just like you need to put a lot of different things to go in your suitcase on a trip, those individual things are not what makes the trip for you. And so you really have to step back again and think about the plan. And I know we talked about planning earlier, but it is very much about like, what's your business plan? You know, who's your customer? What's the message that articulates with them? How do we get to those customers? Not just every time they can hear you who could possibly consume your product, but the ones who actually have the opportunity to re- reach out, touch, feel, and service. And once you've identified kind of, what you're selling and how you're going to talk about it and who you're going to sell it to, then then we look at that process and what does the sales process look like? And is it an an external lead generation service or is it internal salespeople that are doing it or is it the business owner? Are the same people who are delivering the product or service also selling the service, but really understanding how your sales process works? And then we can look at how how to wrap marketing around that and how to make that work for that individual business. I was talking to a a new prospect for us recently, and he shared they had primarily done all of their marketing to date via trade shows. And obviously, in a coronavirus era, he's not going to trade shows anymore. And so he's got to figure out what's he going to do differently. And so we're talking to that business and trying to understand why they were going to trade shows and what was the common element about the shows. And it wasn't about shows. it was about obviously who the attendees were. And we have to then say, well, how else can I get to those attendees? Where else do they cluster? And ultimately you may come back to, okay, well, there is a social media platform that's a good answer for that, but we need to figure out why and kind of how those things work together. Or we may you know jump to an, an entirely different channel altogether. And we, we may say, we're going to explore doing you know terrestrial radio, or we're going to go back to legacy print or we're gonna do something completely different. Um, But you really gotta understand the business first and how the salespeople engage before we can just throw marketing at them and have them know that's gonna be effective.
0: Jennifer, marketing automation is a hot topic today in in the universe of marketing. And I was reminded of that uh, this past week. Last week, I went to a website, probably made the mistake of giving them my email address And now twice a day, I'm getting some type of email from that company. That's just an example of of marketing automation. So is is this something that you recommend? Does marketing automation make sense for all businesses? And is there maybe a best practice in using it?
2: Well, you identified two things there that I want to t- touch on. I want to talk about first and answer your question around marketing, marketing automation, but I also want to go back to lead nurturing, which is what you were experiencing with those emails you were receiving. Mm-hmm. So um, marketing automation gets a lot of buzz, and whether you're inside of, or outside of marketing today, you're certainly hearing the air cover about why everybody should invest in marketing automation. And um, there are there are products and platforms that start at, um, you know, $20, $50, dollars a month that advertise that you can use them for automation up to products and platforms that cost tens of thousands of dollars a month for automation and, uh, and a whole bunch of different things in between. And the struggle is all of those require somebody to manage those products or platforms. So while you can hear about all the fabulous things they could do for your business, if you don't have a resource who understands and has time to manage and execute those platforms – you're just pouring money down the drain. Hmm. Um, And and whether it's $100 or, you know, $10,000 a month, you can potentially still just be pouring money down the drain. We tend to look at those and want to remind businesses that, you know, when you make this investment, let's figure out who's going to be managing that for you. And is it going to be an internal headcount that you have? Or is it going to be an external agency relationship? So while we bring in automation tools for clients all the time, we probably just as often encounter clients who have an automation tool in place um, and probably lack a resource to effectively manage that. And sometimes that means we help them turn off those automation platforms until they're really ready uh, to take advantage of them, because I'd hate to see them waste money on something they weren't using. Now, back to your experience Mm -hmm. with you signed up for something and how you keep hearing from them. So what you're seeing is what we refer to as a lead nurture campaign. Nurture is an important function that automation handles for people. But you don't have to have automation to have nurture. So if you have a prospective customer and you communicate with them, how were you first engaged on a website at an event they dialed into your Bill McDermott luncheon today and you then follow up with them, it's those series of communications that you have with that prospect or customer that we refer to as a nurture campaign. And that may be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven touches before we ever can convert. And trying to take the time to plan out those steps in the nurture campaign is time-consuming and can be exhaustive. But it can also really reap incredible rewards for businesses that's done right. And those are the baby steps we want them to think about before they start investing in automation.
1: Jennifer, two statements that I often hear about marketing is, one is, I don't have a marketing budget, or I don't have money to spend on marketing, And two, which is my favorite, is I don't need to do marketing because I'm doing just fine. How do you answer those two questions or statements when you hear them out in the field?
2: Well, I was going to correct you. The second statement isn't I'm doing just fine. The second statement is always, I get all my business on referral. Hmm. (laughs) And so what we remind them or the automatic follow-up is always, great, what are you doing to work those referrals? Mm-hmm. Um, which will immediately deliver a deer and headlights response. Because that same individual or business who tells you they get all their, their business on referrals, nine times out of ten isn't doing anything to basically work a referral program. And so by that I mean we don't want them to just look at prospects and customers. We like to talk about looking at uh, looking at people as suspects to prospects to customers to referral sources. And then how do we manage them back through through that continuum? And so all the time that you were working with a customer uh, or a prospect or a referral source, you, you want to be thinking about that as an evangelism opportunity so that you could ultimately generate more referrals out of those. And so an ongoing frequency campaign of some type, whether that be, once again, the, the luncheons that Tim was doing today, or maybe it's a drip email marketing program, or maybe it's your podcast. But whatever you're doing to keep your name and the name of your business and your products and services and your ValProp in front of those audiences, that's how we're reminding people to buy. And we're not going to get those referrals if we don't touch them on a regular basis. We've worked with some professionals in the past who are so disciplined in their referral marketing program that they basically take their database, put it into their CRM and work on a frequency um, of how often they're going to go back and touch each of those individuals, either electronically or physically, to make sure they continue to generate referrals. But because they've done such a good job of measuring and tracking referral revenue from those sources, they understand, appreciate, and invest in what it takes to make that keep happening.
0: Jennifer, I know our listeners like to hear Examples of, in this case, you know, marketing that works and maybe marketing that doesn't work. So, two part question. So, one example of something maybe that you've done recently with a client that for whatever reason just didn't work. And then the flip side is something that you have done with a client for a client that worked beyond your expectations.
2: One of the areas that people are investing a lot in right now is LinkedIn advertising. And there are three different things that you can do on LinkedIn. And I'm not going to get in the weeds on what those are because that would be like a whole other podcast. But oftentimes, businesses think they can use an advertising tool, uh, a digital advertising tool, and see super high conversion rates. And by that, I mean people who are signing up or who are automatically buying. And what they fail to recognize is digital has more often not a very low conversion rate um, as far as direct opportunities, but it's a high exposure rate as far as ongoing impressions. And so it's important to help them differentiate between if I spent a nickel here, how many sales did I get? And if I spent a nickel here, how many people did I touch? How many, how many people were exposed to my content? And so we did a campaign with a client last year who had a, a, a growth objective around engagement on a social media platform and we were trying to help them run an advertising campaign to see if we could generate more followers and we generated followers but it was a very slow road to hoe but we saw an awful lot of exposure and impressions and I think they they experienced equal value out of that so it's an interesting kind of space to play right now I'm going to share somebody else's story today Mm -hmm. on best practice just because it's fun as we move to all virtual events, people are trying to figure out how to make those events more, better, special. And there's a lot of things that you've got to do to make those effective because we're trying to make them feel as personal and intimate as possible. All too often, clients get caught up in the what happens at the actual event and don't spend enough time thinking about the pre and post event experience. And I think especially in this virtual event space, we've got to think about this differently. So we are a certified partner in a a reseller program for a marketing automation platform. And they recently did a new branding campaign. And as part of their branding campaign, they were going to roll out a series of webinars. And in advance of the first webinar, they sent out a kit to all the resellers. And my kit includes an old style metal lunchbox, just like the vintage ones that we carried to elementary school. Inside my lunchbox, there's a mug that has the logo on it and a bunch of collateral that matches the branding that they're doing their event. I have probably talked about this lunchbox to every person I've talked to in the last week, but it was a fantastic way for them to really differentiate what they were doing and kind of have an offline experience to go with their online event. And that's the kind of thing people are going to have to figure out how to do to make all this work.
0: I have visions of my old lunch pail. I think it was like a green beret lunch pail box that I used to take, take to school. I was
2: going to ask. Yeah. I was going which comic book character was yeah. on yours.
0: Great example. I probably still have it up in the attic. So, <laughs> Jennifer, we're now, have gotten to my favorite part of the program, and that is the rapid fire questions. Uh, Taylor is going to ask you questions with the, the goal of trying to stump you, which I've told him will not happen, but he's going to try anyway. So let's go into our
1: rapid fire questions, Taylor. All right. We'll start out with an easy one, Jennifer. Uh, Outside of this podcast, what is your favorite marketing podcast? I know there's many. uh,
2: I'm a big fan of anything that Brian Solis puts out, but my favorite podcasts are actually probably terrestrial radio stuff like, wait, wait, don't tell me. (laughs) I I was crushed when they came to the Fox this year and the scalpers picked up all the tickets. That was just, just blew me away.
1: And maybe a follow-up to that while on digital is what is your favorite digital app, either related to marketing or just a personal favorite?
2: Probably my favorite um, app right now is I'm completely engaged with watching CPS All Access on Amazon Prime and my ability to make my Apple TV um, come on, turn on my Sony big screen from my laptop. Oh, that's
1: fantastic. I don't even know if
2: that counts. But it scares the crap out of my husband every time I do it.
1: Oh, that counts in my book. (laughs) (laughs) On your bio, there was a reference to minor league baseball. So I'm curious, what is your favorite minor league baseball team?
2: Teams versus parks is kind of a different way to look at that. Okay, We have been to dozens and dozens of parks. Um, Probably my favorite ever park is going to be the um, Toronto Blue Jays Park. So their minor league equivalent is in Dunedin. And it's an old style uh, stadium where they hawk Canadian beer in the stands, and every game starts with the Canadian national anthem.
1: And just out of curiosity, what got you so into minor league baseball parks?
2: Um, When I grew up in South Florida, the Braves were still playing in West Palm Beach, sharing it with the Expos. So that was a long term thing I used to do with my mom. And then the minor league parks are always so much more accessible. The minor league players are accessible, and then during spring training, which we have hit every single one of the last 14 years until this season, you know, it it just, it's a, it's a whole different experience and it makes minor, um, it makes major league ball seem much less interesting.
1: Very cool. Uh, Leading up to this podcast, we exchanged a number of emails and I became well aware that you use many, many online meeting services. Uh, (laughs) Skype, which is what you use, obviously is not, not one of them. So I'm I'm curious from WebEx to Microsoft teams to, Zoom, what is your favorite and why?
2: Oh, see, now you have to uh, have to tell me, am I getting paid for this answer or not? <laughs> and the reason for that is we have helped clients over the years deliver a number of online webinars. And at the time, our preference for that was always go to meeting, which is the same as go to webinars as a mm-hmm. platform. And so we had been running events for clients for years on that platform. There were some things about that product that I didn't love. And so when Zoom started really pushing into that space, we talked to their marketing people and they walked us through how that was a more better, perfect product for what we were trying to accomplish. And so we started migrating all of our clients to Zoom. So we became a a paid Zoom subscriber more than a year ago um, when we were actively moving clients to that platform. So it's been fun this year whenever he's like, oh, Zoom is new. I'm like, it's not new. Um, (laughs) But because... One of the things that pays our rent is we do work for a number of managed IT service providers, most of whom sell Office 365 licenses, which include Teams. Mm -hmm. We do spend an awful lot of time on Teams. And I think that Teams and Zoom are kind of giving each other a run for their money right now on the security side. And it's going to be interesting to see how all this stuff pans out.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I've used all of them quite a bit. It has been interesting. Before, it was almost siloed. So uh, some companies would use Teams, some would use WebEx, and and now the competition has certainly ramped up given everyone's using it more. Last question, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, When you got a big project you're working on and you put the headphones on, what is the song or music choice you listen to while working?
2: So when, if you get to come visit our office again, uh, you will find that the Wi-Fi Access in our office is named after 80s bands. And so most of the time, if we were going to pick something to listen to, it's either going to be some type of uh, 80s British rock or uh, 80s hair band.
1: Hmm. Excellent. Hmm. Excellent.
0: Taylor, once again, you have failed. Jennifer accurately answered every single one of your questions. Uh, Very nice. So I, Taylor, as always, I can't believe how fast our time has gone. I have a whole page of notes from what Jennifer has shared with us, and I'll, I'll list a few of them, the difference between your product and what your product actually does for customers, the role of an, patience, you impatience know, for the leader of a small business owner, both as a positive and also as a, a negative, the importance of understanding your unique selling proposition, your, your USP, Jennifer also talked about the the when and the how and the why of hiring a, a marketing professional. She also gave us some insights on the use of marketing automation and why it may work for some companies and not work for others, but also the importance of lead nurturing and how small businesses can utilize that. The importance of referral marketing and not to take that for granted, that there needs to be a plan for mining those, those referrals. So some great takeaways for our listeners. Jennifer, I'm certain that some of our listeners will want to follow up with you. What's the easiest way for them to contact you?
2: Probably the easiest way for them to find us is online. So um, we're available at Michael M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E dot com. Of course, you can always connect with me on LinkedIn as Jennifer Kuhn, K-O-O-N.
0: Great. Well, Jennifer, thank you again for being on the Small Business Matters podcast. I hope that you'll come visit us again. Great, thank you. Taylor, some quick announcements. Small Business Matters newsletter is, is being prepared and edited and should be coming out soon. Hope all of our listeners will look for that. Uh, our next lunch event will be on uh, September 9th, and we're gonna have a guest from the uh, Conscious Entrepreneurship Group for our listeners, I hope after you listen to this podcast that you will rate, review, and subscribe to the Small Business
1: Matters podcast. Any any last words for our listeners? Nothing I can think of. Thanks again for Jennifer for being our guest. I thought she provided some wonderful uh, marketing insights, and I'm looking forward to the next one.
0: Great. Well, listeners, thank you for listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It is the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue... All That Matters.